Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest people on the web and talk to them about why they do what they do. Your hosts are, Chris, are typically Christopher Schmidt and David Farland, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. My apologies to all of Dave's fans, but Dave's not here this week. I'm Chris from Canada, web designer and podcaster. Christopher and Dave have invited along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guests for this episode are the hosts of BizCraft, the podcast about the business side of web design, Carl Smith of EngineWorks and Gene Crawford of Unmatched Style. Gene is the editor for UnmatchedStyle.com, organizer of ConvergeSE.com, president AIGA South Carolina, and he also runs Period-3.com. Carl Smith is the founding member of EngineWorks. He has worked with some great teams that won the New York Art Directors Award for Interactive Development, the Hospitality Industry's Best of Show Award, and two National Case Awards for Educational Web Development, featured in Kelly Goto's best-selling book, Web Design, Workflow That Works. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Christopher by himself. Hey, Chris. I am <laughs> I am by myself. Thank you so much for the intro. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, Dave is on holiday, so we're left to our own, de- our own devices for the show. So how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. We're, yeah. we're a little punchy today. Yeah. yeah. Long, we are a little bit. Recording, yeah. but that's good. Yeah. How are things in Canada? White, wet, snow, cold, usual. Well, I get tons of letters every day, like every day, uh, just saying, hey, is Chris really from Canada? Because we, we call you Chris from Canada, and so you're here to say that you are indeed from I am. Canada. Yes. I, don't know what, I don't know what Canadianism I could say that would help solidify <laughs> that, but... I think it, just the word about, yeah, really. About, about. Yeah, there you go. See, he's Canadian, guys. Pff, you can't fake that. No. You can't fake that. So, okay. But yeah, so let's bring on our uh, guests. I'm really... Our esteemed guests this week. Yes. Carl and Gene. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Hey. I want to ask Chris why he laughed when he said smart people. <laughs> <laughs> it was just something in my throat. I, As a Canadian, I really right. apologize for that. Just checking. It was nothing. So, you know, Gene, Gene's very sensitive about his SAT scores. And uh, we'll, we'll move on. Don't get me started, man. <laughs> Bunch of jerks on this show. <laughs> I'm saying. Hey, thanks for having us on, really. <laughs> so, all right. Well, like, well, the first question we always ask is, like, how did you guys get involved in, in the web scene? And, and how did you get, get from, I guess, get into the business, pretty much? Wow, I'll let you take that first, Carl. Okay. Um, I Age was before the, beauty. And you know, and in this case, I get to go twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was at a full service agency for about 14 years and was trying to work with web shops, mm-hmm. but found that nobody kept their word, answered their phone, you know, basically did anything of value. And uh, when I realized I had to leave that agency because uh, I was having a family, it just felt like, you know what, I know all the people, I can start a web agency, and as long as we're nice and answer the phone and treat people fairly, do what we say we're going to do, we're going to rule the world, you know, because that was the experience that we had at the time, and it was, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000, and uh, so in 2003, we, you know, I jumped ship out of a corner office and, and started EngineWorks with three friends. Oh, what about you, Gene? You don't really Magical. have friends. So who did you start your company? I don't. I don't. I don't have any friends at all, except you. No. Yep. Uh, step, buddy. What's that? You better watch your step. And <laughs> you got. Man, I. I. Uh, I. It's weird. I. I went to 
I'm one of the few people I know that actually went to college and then do the thing they went to college for, which is mm-hmm. strange. But uh, yeah, I actually went to college for graphic design, got oh. a degree, got out, got a job. And um, a friend of mine hooked me up with a web design job because I built the website for our fantasy football league. Um, <laughs> and by the way, this is fantasy football before you could go to like some website and get fantasy football. We, we actually had to use the USA Today to oh. get our stats from, and I compiled those in a spreadsheet. Hey, can I ask you, did you win that year? I did. Yeah, boy, that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> and coincidentally, it was the last year I ever won. Yeah, it's funny. Um, No, and and I went to work there and then um, did that for several years and bounced around from like startup to startup. Uh, It was like right during the dot-com boom or explosion, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually got tired of being fired and just started my own uh, consulting company. And I've been doing that ever since pretty much. And that's uh, period three? Yep. Yep, and uh, through through over the years of doing period three, we've we've started doing unmatched style, and that's just grown and gotten into the conference uh, production and been doing that. And uh, right now, trying to make the conferences and unmatched style overtake the um, consulting business um, as far as revenue, and um, we're we're about halfway there. And so that's the the latest direction of what we're doing. Well, I have to ask, what does period three stand for? Is other than like a dot and th- three. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll give away a little bit of age, I guess. But um, I've been doing this for a while. Uh, we started our business around the time. Do you remember the movie Jurassic Park? Yeah, yeah. Coming you, back in three D, kids. Yeah, I know. I've heard that. This segment uh, brought to you by Jurassic Park in three D. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, there was a character on there played by Jeff Goldblum. He was a chaotician. Mm-hmm. And we thought that was some of the coolest ever. Um, <laughs> if you look it up, period three is a mathematical um, equivalent or conclusion to chaos, right? So it's when chaotic things have patterns. Okay. It's extremely nerdy. That's but um, that's we deep. thought it was really cool, and that's what we did. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's been too lazy to change the name of the company. Okay. So it's that's cool enough to change awesome. the name. Okay. <laughs> Oh man, it's well, some nerdy stuff. Cool. I was wondering about that, and maybe that's I what should, it is. That's awesome. It it actually is something, um, or nothing. That's the case, maybe. Ah, oh. oh, Jurassic Park reference. Nice. nice. There you go. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, I, I did appreciate they made the ma- the math guy look like a try to look like a rock star. So that was pretty. Yeah, nice. that's why we thought it was cool. Jeff Goldblum's cool. Yeah. Now, one thing I'll tell you about that that's authentic. So my brother is an honest to god chaos scientist. And those bastards only wear black and white. And if you go back and look at Jeff Goldblum, yeah. he's always wearing black and white. It's the whole binary thing. Yeah. Yep. Right? So that's pretty hilarious. Yeah. It is very. It's kind of funny. I didn't know that. Yep. That's cool. A chaos, a chaos math, math, I can't even say it. Chaos mathematician. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, cool. Well, one reason why I have you on the show is because I want to talk about you both run shops. And I just want to talk about you know the state of business, uh, you know, and, and how are things going with with dealing with clients and the workload and, and how it's coming in because you know we've you know dealt with a recession recently and since it's you know start of the new year, just want to see how you guys are feeling about you know your pulse of the industry or or the, or the workflow and stuff like that and how how you know do you feel confident going into the new year and and. Hmm. You take that one, man. 
Okay. Um, I'll tell you, last year or, or this, this year, 2012, was a really great year. Um, I know that a lot of, you know, we're East Coast based and we ended up with a lot more West Coast work and work out of the Northeast. And as we looked at it, I mean, the rates to hire shops in New York, that was the most expensive market, mm-hmm. followed quickly by San Francisco and Boston and you had Seattle in there. And, uh, but, but what happened was as the monolithic companies started buying shops, yeah. suddenly East Coast was relatively unpurchased with the exception probably of Include. And I still don't understand what's going on there because they still exist, but they were bought. And um, but so we ended up with a whole influx of some really great opportunities. We we turned away a ton, I, and a lot of the shops that I've talked to in the southeast and, and some in the you know pretty much anything but the west coast, we were turning away a ton of work. Yeah. Uh, I think for 2013, I'm excited because the team has basically said they want to do more, and so we're going to start finally having some sort of an outreach to try to find more of the clients we want. Whereas in 2012, it was very much just uh, going through what was coming in and picking the best of what was there. Mm-hmm. So I, I gotta be honest, it was a great year. We never noticed the recession. I think the leads may have slowed down in the fourth quarter, right. but the reality was we were already booked. So yeah. how about you, Gene? Wow, that's, yeah. See, so what makes BizCraft a good show, I think, talking about business particularly, is that Carl and I sit on sort of different ends of the spectrum of... Uh, I don't want to say size of shop. I mean, you no, just, no. Just, it doesn't really come down to like a head count, but no, it's, maybe. it's more. I think if you were to look at it, there's one end of the spectrum that's awesome, which I'm on. <laughs> that side end where, but, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm, uh, f- this podcast. No. <laughs> uh, we we definitely felt the recession. We definitely felt it. Um, what the hell year is it? Uh, yeah, the end of 2011, beginning of 2012, it was it was kind of slow for us, and um, we picked up work that maybe we shouldn't have, mm-hmm. and uh, have, have seriously paid the price over the first end of the year. And um, things things have generally picked up um, from what I've seen from the consulting work we do, and um, we're being way more selective. We have the we feel like we have the capability to be more selective because of some of the decisions we made to be selective, which seems counterintuitive, but that's kind of how it works. Um, I mean, Carl can iterate to that, I think, but you have to, you have to choose to be selective because you can take anything yeah. that comes across your doorway. Um, so yeah. for us, that, that part is getting a lot better. Um, leads are the leads we've had are much faster. Um, size of contracts that we're working on have gotten bigger. Yeah. Um, because and one of the things we also did is we made a concerted effort to be specific in the type of work we do, whereas before it felt like we were worried about where the next project was going to come from. You know, locally the recession hit South Carolina a little bit harder for the type of clients we typically have worked with over the over the previous years. Right. So we did a bunch of stuff we probably shouldn't have done as far as types of work, like designing logos, or we did a calendar for someone, which is print, which is not what the hell we know what we're doing. <laughs> um, sort of a deal. We we were very specific in saying we're going to do uh, front end production. We're going to yeah. build things out, and we're going to focus on that. Get clients that want us to do that type of stuff, and just do the best that we can at that specific thing. It's what we've been trying to do, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really like where it's going, and I feel confident about that where it's going. Well, do you f- do you feel like that? Um, 
especially with people coming into the industry, uh, maybe started freelancing, that it's hard for them to say no to jobs. And so, and to be selective with that, and even if it's just, uh, either a freelancer or, or a shop to, you know, Basically, they'll just grab anything that comes in the door. But those are that's it, half the questions we answer on. Yeah, on this crap, man. Yeah, so like I feel like if you, by being selective and doing the work that you want to do and turn down jobs, like oh maybe I shouldn't do that. You actually, you know, the the intangible of feeling better about the work that you're doing that doesn't like feel like almost like a toxin or poison, if you will, by doing the work that you don't want to do. And so, so in a way, you're just saying no to that. You're actually just you know helping your psyche. You know, yeah, and improving the work that you do, right? So, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you have that that Carl? I mean, that's that's kind of where you live. Well, you know, the the interesting thing is when you talked about really defining yourself and going after specifically the work you wanted. I think a big part when our model shifted and uh, we let the team start picking what they wanted, I think it's probably part of the reason why the recession maybe didn't hit us as hard. Mm-hmm. Is we started doing offline stuff. We we basically ask ourselves two questions, right? And those two questions are, is this going to be fun? Mm-hmm. And is this for the betterment of our world? And for the betterment of our world is a loose definition. I mean, we, t- we have fantasy football apps, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we were actually hired to redo some of Gene's earlier work. And uh, <laughs> no, we weren't. Um, <sighs> but, the, but the reality of that is uh, we ended up in those relationships that were strong. And also our projects ended up lasting longer. So we needed fewer projects to come in. The, the flip side of that, that that you don't realize when you go in, and I was actually talking with somebody earlier about this, um, people burn out when they're on a project for too long. So you end up with new problems, right? It's not just that suddenly you've got a project that's going to pay the bills for a while and you don't have to worry about that recession-type concept. Right. Now you've got to worry about replacing people and phasing them in and out. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing to throw in there that I've noticed recently in, in terms of the overall market, in the Southeast, we've had more people call us with good ideas for funded startups mm-hmm. than I think ever in the 10 years we've been in business. And um, I, I think there is this migration out of the West Coast um, that's just starting to slowly hit the rest of the country. And this is strictly on my perception of what we've been seeing and hearing. But I think that really bodes well for the rest of the country. So I think so too. So we mean like good ideas for funded startups? What do you mean by funded startups like just they they already had the VC and they're ready to roll or yeah 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 they they have a good idea they understand uh, the framework of what it is they need to build and they have somebody who's already said yes they're going to fund them okay um, as opposed to somebody just knocking on your door saying I've got the next Facebook and I'm yeah. like hate the, they hate the current one yeah. yeah so just don't even but yeah so so it basically I would say that's it it's it's people who are ready to go and have the means to get there. Okay. And, um, and we, we actually got a call from one in Jacksonville last week. And I was like, is this really local? You know, yeah. for me. And, um, and it was. So it's, I think that's another exciting thing that's happening. I think a lot of VCs are looking for untapped markets because, I mean, there, there's gold and then there are hills. And that, that seems to be where everybody's running. Mm-hmm. I second that. I was actually curious about like, the idea of picking up um, projects when maybe, like I'm at the lower end of the spectrum or a, different spectrum anyways where i have a solo shop that i work with other developers and stuff and so people come along with that good idea and identifying like what is a good idea where maybe they don't have full funding but it would be a really cool project to run with run with them on versus waiting for the mythical client who's going to come along with the you know enough money to pay your bills for the next three months and sort of that debate i guess like sort of like what you're saying doing something cool and fun less money versus 
slightly not soul sucking, but you know, is less fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a couple of historical clients that we uh, historical clients. We have a couple of people we work with over the past few years. That Legacy, are just, my friend. Legacy. They're that they're just that that they've been sort of self-funding some of their ideas and stuff over the past couple of years um, and definitely could have made more money doing something else um, and turned away uh, maybe higher paying or, you know, definitely soul sucking type work um, the, for the particular client in order to just continue to kind of work with these guys um, once or twice on some things. And uh, I, I, I like that. Um, you have to be very careful working with that to to make sure you've i think the term is arms arms length i've heard before in legal discussions just make sure you're not like doing stuff because you're friends you know and like sweeping certain things under the rug like late being never paid or late paid or doing more work than what you're getting paid for Mm -hmm. um you have to be very careful with balancing that with you know helping someone out you know what i mean i've gotten in trouble there um doing doing stuff a little too long um Mm -hmm got to watch that it, it, from the from the like chris i think maybe you're like a freelancer right if, yep. if you wanted to throw a specific term around it which i mean what's the difference between that and i run a business there's no difference but i think that's the the term that people use for that but you know you got to be careful with that because you know hey you're sitting there saying i'm only accountable to myself i can do this and then do this other thing right. but you just got to be careful balancing that right so I'm curious, Chris, do you have a family? Are you married with kids? I am married with children. Three. Yep, there you go. Yeah. Um, so what I'll say is you've got a different situation than other people, and I think it's always based on the context of your reality. Yeah. So I'm a firm believer in what Daniel Pink spills, spells out in uh, Drive, that you have to take care of the intrinsic stuff first. So if you have no work and you have no money and you have a responsibility to other people, then when something comes in and you see that there is a financial opportunity, you're going to take it because you're worried about supporting that family, mm-hmm. right? You have to take care of those basic needs. If you are 22, single, don't mind if you're drinking cheap beer, whatever, right? Then you might, I would say you should pass on that opportunity, right? But the, the biggest issue is, do you lose a better opportunity around the corner, do you commit to something that's not quite what you want, but the money's there? And then next week, something really great shows up and you have, to, you have an ethical dilemma. Do I, do I bag the guy that I'm not that happy with and tell him to go away so I can take this better project? Do I try to do both of them, possibly kill myself and miss my kids growing up? Right? You know, it's like yeah. there, there are all of these challenges, but I think you really have to look at it in the context of where you are. For us, being 10 years old, um, being a larger company and having a, a good foundation of cash to stand on, we'll pass by those opportunities that we're not excited about because we know there's going to be something around the corner that we can get excited about. I mm-hmm. think when you're just starting out or if you hit a really slow spell, sometimes you just need coal to throw on the fire to keep the train moving. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think you know a, a lot of people will tell you, stay away from this project if you know, unless you have some sort of a philosophical or an issue with what it is, if it's a, a political thing you don't like, or if it's selling alcohol and your you know dad was an alcoholic, or things like that that are you're just selling your soul. That that stuff I would say avoid at all costs. 
But if it's something that's going to get you to a better place so you then can free up your mind and free up your time to find the great stuff, I think that's just a step forward. Yeah, no, I hear I hear that for sure. And I think that's, I'm a couple of years down the road into the own business slash freelancer thing. And at that stage of like, okay, I, I'm working with some other guys and, you know, you know, where, like you, it sounds like you maybe where you were 10 years ago or whatever, where you're working together yeah. and, and then building to something bigger or do you keep going on your own? And, and yeah, some of the guys I work with are 22, don't have kids, do mm-hmm. whatever, take projects here and there, you know, and that's, uh, it's always that, that tension or that balance of, of the well, being responsible to the home versus having yeah. a little fun with the project. But it's, it's also that mixture is going to make it really work out in the end, right? It's, it's you working with those people that could make it really interesting. Yeah. This is awesome. This is turning into the crisp uh, therapy session for I'll, well, I'll have to tell my wife to listen so that she can. There you go. <laughs> she should because you are an awesome human being, sir. And the way you speak about that woman and the things she has done for you, mm-hmm. good for you, sir. Mm. I'll also throw in there, you're saying that you're working with younger guys? Yeah. So this, is, this becomes an issue sometimes is that they're going to throw more time in. They're going to have more fun. They might hang out together. You're going to be back at home, mm-hmm. right? You've got to be okay with that. Um, I, I experienced that when we started Engine Works, and it was really rough for me because I had this desire to be out partying with those guys, but I also had the desire to be with my family. At the same time, they'd be working really late, and I would have to leave. And so you had this, like, they never said it, but you just felt this tension of, you know, where is he going? Now, for me, I can't code or draw. So <laughs> it's kind of like, what was I going to do? I was going to go get him a pizza. I was going to, you know, whatever. But, um, but I think that's the other thing you have to realize, especially when you go from that freelance model of working for yourself to expanding it out to more people, you really have to take into, into consideration where they are in their lives as well as um, how, how they're driven and what motivates them. So never, never forget to keep an eye on that as well and, and know the people you're working with on a personal level as well as you know, a business level. Right. That's important. God, where did that come from? I don't know, man. Jesus, I'm on fire. <laughs> this is some deep Somebody, stuff this episode. Yeah. Give this guy a podcast. Yeah. I'm saying, right? Give him two. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to change up topic, topics a little bit, is this that uh, when we talk about like uh, the clients themselves, like so you, we talked about the work and, and the projects that are, that are available for freelancers to small teams to uh, engine works. <laughs> so uh, what kind of you know, in the whole mobile blow up and all that, is there, you know, things are radically, radically different than uh, a desktop website now and uh, more things are more app focused. Uh, what is the state of education with clients? Like, do you have to, you know, handhold them more? Do they know about the mobile? Like, I, I figured people will come up and say, I need a mobile XYZ, but, you know, are they ready for like a multi device web where things don't look the same across? devices and, and what's See, the education I, like? I love I love questions like this because the type of people that we work with m- myself and Carl are worlds different a lot of times what is this multi-device web I, I'm not tuned into that no I'm just kidding go ahead yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you take that first Carl no go Gene go for it okay um for from my perspective a lot of the clients we work with are um well, and I make assumptions, so you can just tell me I'm wrong, Carl. But um, a lot of a lot of the companies I work with, I would define small business in terms of like 
sometimes five or less employees, um, like like myself. Business is on the same sort of level. So um, the the level of education, at least, and I'm going to sound like I'm bashing Flash, which is fine, but at least they've all discovered that we don't build websites in Flash anymore. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay, multi-device web and we don't use Flash anymore. This is, I am just so glad I'm yeah. listening in. They figured that out. They, wow. A lot, of them, a lot of the first questions that I get are about video. They're like, I want video. I'm like, well, we can get around that. But then it's about like, well, video doesn't play on my iPad, you know, and we have that discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's starting to get to the point where they're asking for websites that work on their iPhone, right? And that's sort of, the, that's sort of what I'm hearing. It's like, this has to work on my iPhone like this guy's site does, you know. And I'm like, hey, it's responsive. You know, we can do that, you know. Um, we don't get a lot of questions about like, um, you know, approaching content first or uh, like, should I have an app or a website that, that just not really having those type of conversations? I mean, we engage them with those type of conversations, but they don't bring those to the table. And, do, and do you find that you, you, you need to or that it, it's a longer and the client, are they, are they open to have those discussions or are they like, dude, I just want a website. What the hell? Yeah, I'd say there's like two types of people that we're talking to. One will be the types that's like, you know, I really don't care. Just make sure it works right. And then there's the other ones that really want to learn about it and they want to really kind of engage on that level. But most of the time we are leading that conversation and sort of we've made the decisions for them before we're really engaged in it and we're just sort of educating and walking them down the path. I'd say is where we are a lot of times. Yeah. It's, it's probably not that different for what a lot of the people you work with, Carl, but probably it's just more people having the conversation. Yeah, it, you know, it's not that different. Uh, the thing that happens for us is most people will come in and so we get, we, we fire shots before they fire shots. Um, we don't do this every time, but like we'll send an NDA out before they can. <laughs> Just to kind of let them know. Sometimes we'll, <laughs> sometimes we'll call it a friend DA, um, just because that's fun. But, uh, but the thing for us, I think, is that we went to that uh, concept of having a paid discovery. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we generally don't call it that. Uh, actually, Happy Code calls it a project definition phase, which I think is brilliant. That's um, if you say paid discovery, there's this anticipation that there's another kind that may be better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but... But we don't really sell or worry about saying mobile first or content strategy or accessibility. Mm -hmm. We put it in that recommendation. Mm -hmm. And if they have a problem with that recommendation um, and we think that we can still get to a good place, then then by all means we'll go forward with them. But for the most part, we're just recommending how to accomplish what they've said they needed to accomplish – yeah. We, if, if we have somebody show up that says they need uh, a Drupal site or they need uh, you know, something that's video focused or this or that, if they can't explain the business model, if they can't explain what they're trying to accomplish, right. and again, we're in a different ballpark, we're a different playing field, I guess, than, than some other people, but, but we know that we're not going to be able to help them. It, it makes no sense to spend the money with us that you could make go much further with somebody who's going to take those orders and run with them. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're convinced, and a lot of times I think these clients are probably right, we're we're just caught up in our own world and caught up in what the industry is telling us. That's right. But uh, but normally once we make that presentation of 
the discovery document, that is the recommendation on how to move forward. And that kind of educates them. I, I was in a call with somebody recently and they were talking about the need for, you know, working on the desktop. They knew they had a need for tablets. They knew they had a need for a phone. And I said, well, do you, have you guys heard of, you know, responsive design? They're like, no, what's that? And so I showed them some work we had done. I showed them the work that Ethan and Filament um, and Upstatement had done with uh, Boston Globe and, and these things. They're like, this is amazing. So sometimes I think there's opportunities to look like a magician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, a real knowledge provider. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So long as it's something they really need. Um, but, but overall, once we make that presentation of the discovery, Mm -hmm. that's when we know if, if we're moving forward or not. And I'll tell you, this is, this is pretty funny. Um, Matthew Oliphant and Greg Aker on our team, were working on a, a project, uh, for what I thought was a really cool opportunity, um, called healthy meals on the go. And when they presented uh, the discovery and showed what they needed to do, they closed the company. <laughs> they, well, we have three opportunities, and there's just, we, we're just going to focus on the other two and shut this one down. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. So, so sometimes you're like, oh, man, that sucks because I really like that service. I could drive by and get, like, awesome food that I uh, – whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but no, I, I mean, that, that's what it is for us. And, and I think moving to that project definition phase that's separate from the project or phase that's separate from the project, it allows you to really identify what needs to be used, mm-hmm. compensated for it, yeah. uh, without committing to doing anything. Moving. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, I totally see how, like, that makes so much more sense. I just, I think um, when I did, you know, a bulk of my freelance work, it was just like, I just got tired of the educational phase. Right. You know, it was just like, oh man, really, I have to do this again and again and again. And it's just like you, and I couldn't find a really insightful way to say, hey, read this book or, you know, do these things or whatever. Like, <laughs> and like, because only in the context of their project will they care about yeah. learning what needs to be done and stuff like that. And that's because so. that's because you're more interested in building the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it takes the right type of person to be on the other side of that conversation, yeah. you know. Well, and also, if your project life cycle is shorter, mm-hmm. then you're going to hear that a lot more. Right? Yeah. For us, our project life cycle has gotten longer. Yeah. Our biggest issue is we don't feel like we ship enough. The yeah. team feels like there's nothing out there to point to and be proud of. Right. But we don't hear that education problem because we're working in nine-month and 15-month cycles. Right. So. Yeah. And, and how long is your life, project life cycle, Gene, you say? About three months Okay. at the most. And that's usually because we're, you know, Content first is like, uh, we just built you a website. Where the hell's your content? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, uh, 10 to 12, $15,000 website, mm-hmm. it's, we're usually chasing content. Right. Yeah. We, we used to do proof of content. Did I ever tell you that, Gene? <laughs> we would, I, like the, they, I like the sound of that. If they said they had certain content, we would ask to be able to speak with the person who had created it. Yeah. And if they said they were going to have video, but they didn't have it yet, we would ask to, t- we would ask to talk to the group that was going to create it. We nice. wanted proof of content because we weren't going to backfill a hole when they said they couldn't get something. Yeah. And, uh, well, and that, was, we, that was back when we were hungry. We still yeah. had that attitude. Yeah. Well, we've, we've actually, or I've put that in our statement of work type yeah. situation where I, you know, it's like, we want to deposit, we'll take half. And if you haven't provided the content by the time we say we need it, which is X, we're just going to give you a design. And then that's phase one. And that's what the deposit's for. And then we will just like see you later whenever you have figured out what you're doing. Right. 
and that's kind of how we've gone and that's worked really well for us um throughout the year i think i just gained i gained a little respect for you sir (laughs) thank you i like that we've got we've got two clients right now that are in that phase and i'm just like okay well sometime 2013 we'll talk you know yeah Yeah. but but you've taken that deposit so your time's covered and you're good you know right yeah yeah well that's important to, I mean, we have the pause clause that says if, if anybody's more than 10 business days late on any deliverable, we can put them on hold indefinitely. Yeah. And, and I think when you have that agreement and people know it's a level playing field, mm-hmm. it makes all the difference. Yeah, I think that's great because like, sometimes people just put you on hold. Yeah, and, and, if, uh, and if, if you're footing the bill yeah. for being put on hold, then you have engineered your situation in a bad way, you know? Yeah. We're all cash-based. I mean, we need that money flowing through the company. Right. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter what size you are or how your clients are. It's like if you've dedicated time and put it aside for somebody and then they crap out on you, yeah. it is not fair for you to have to flip the bill for that. Right. Definitely. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, that's huge. I think it's good. It's interesting to hear the the pains, I guess, of being in a large organization because often it's off like it's just grass greener on the other side. Like, if oh, if only I had... 10 people yeah. that I was working with and then I would be able to do this and that and, and you don't often think about the because yeah I, I completely identify with the content struggles at the beginning or throughout the project never really getting it there even though it's said content is yeah. going to be easy no problem we'll get that easy it's kind of they're lying <laughs> well you know it, dirty liar just to yeah. say it we've we've done things before where so we have we have two writers on staff and uh one of the things that we'll do is we're going to write the first draft of content. You'll be able to edit it in the content management system. You know, that's obviously for more of the marketing site stuff that we're doing. Uh-huh. But we don't even give them the chance to approve it. <laughs> we'll just say it's editable. Yeah, you change <laughs> and, it. And that'll be what they pay for. And then if they say they want, you know, re, you know redesign on the content or if they want revisions on the content, mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about that. But I don't know that we've done that lately, but we used to do that. I should, I should go back and look at that. That's a smart move. Yeah, it was yeah, fun. It's just there's a certain, you know, you, you're going to know it in your bones, like on the yeah. first little session when you're talking about design stuff, whether you're going to get that content or not. Yeah, well, like um, even the 90s, like, you know, um, I was at the uh, a book launch for, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, David Siegel. Like he, he uh, wrote uh, mm-hmm. Secrets of Successful uh, Sites. And yeah. I, I was at the book launch and he was like, what's the main pain point that you have with clients? And it was getting content. Yep. Everyone, everyone in the room raised their hand. It was like getting content. Yeah. So, and, and yeah. I, I like your solution of like, um, we're get rid of this whole pain point of content by just writing our own content, and you and you client cannot uh, yep. edit it or anything like that. It's just like you just like I love that solution because you're just like yeah, let's we'll get rid of it. This is it. Yeah, yeah. Kelly Goto. I, I remember hearing her speak one time, and she said, "Content's going to be late. Plan yep. for it. Get over it." Yeah. Pretty much. You know? Yeah, you can choose to bitch about it and make everything late and cost yourself money, or you can just like deal with it and have a good project. Yeah. yeah, and what kills me is I always thought it was because the web was young and clients were used to print and they thought this has to be perfect. Yeah. But it turns out we're on this side of it so many years later yeah. and it's still the same problem. <laughs> yeah. We have one project right now that it's been six months, I think, that the client's been populating the site with content. Mm-hmm. And um, we just told them that we'd get back in touch with them sometime in 2013. We're like, <laughs> we don't know what to do. I mean, we've been paid, because we get paid hourly, we're paid up to, to speed. But it's just one of those, God, we really want to launch this. It's such a sexy tourism site. Come on, guys. 
you know, because you forget that you're emotionally attached as well as financially. Right. Well, so, so on the flip side, like I, I, was, I sort of flip side, like there's this uh, push for content strategy. We've had Christina Howerson yeah. on, and so you know, and it's sort of like front loading this pain point, you know, and just addressing it up front and. It sounds like you know maybe other people you know we're talking like in this room is is Carl like or do you do content strategy at, like at at the engine works we, we do but we don't call it content strategy okay because clients don't like that I mean our clients don't like it I think other clients probably seek it out okay right depending on where they are in their life cycle and where they are in their understanding of the way that marketing and the web and whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel Gertz uh, manages most of the content strategy stuff for us. And, you know, if we tell clients we're doing it, I think there's this, well, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. But if we just say, hey, here are the things we have to do to get ready, right. just lay them out, but don't put a label on it. Yeah. It works really well. I mean, it's a lot like accessibility. I, I was talking with Derek Featherstone about this once. And, you know, he said, you don't sell accessibility, you just yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. That's and right. The only time we ever got caught, and I, I think I mentioned this to you, Gene, was we had a client that, fought to get a grant, oh, yeah. changed their site to being accessible. They got $50,000, and I had to tell them on the phone, it already is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Can we still yeah. have money? Is that yeah. <laughs> That's not how that works? <laughs> yeah. I remember that story because like, you said like also because he was, he was angry because – Very he, upset. Because Very it, upset. That, that was going to pay for like jobs for people like that. that yeah, they like, spent money yeah. to get that, and they yeah. tried to see if they could get it. And I told them, I was like, I uh, – yeah. I, I think we, you know, and I'll tell you in my mind for a minute, I went, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but but you sit in that awesome part of the spectrum, and you're just like, you know, right there, yeah, and, and they yeah, could have, like, you know, they could have taken that ethical stance yeah. if they wanted to say, well, we're going to take the money and act like we did something. That was up to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. the fact that the company giving the money never checked the site, right, was kind of goofy. disturbing to me. Yeah. yeah, you think at some point they would actually, you know, put that in the writing to prove that they needed the money. Like yeah. oh we did this test in online and we we fail you know astronomically we need I mean, this. and that was it was actually one of the sites we we worked with the Florida School for the Deaf and the Blind and what they did when they were looking at portfolios they had the students who were uh, blind look at the portfolios as well as the ones that were deaf and choose the shop that was most accessible and that site was actually one of the most accessible sites so it was like a double whammy of we did a really good job wow I don't know what we could do more so. Yeah, but I still think it's the right thing to do. It's like if you know there's a right way to build something, you don't sell it. Mm -hmm. You just make sure you're compensated and you do it. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty much it. That brings up like the whole responsive web design thing. I know just a Mm -hmm. client of mine that we uh, we were going back and forth on. Should we bill it as a responsive section as an add-on? You know, if you choose to do it, this is what you would do versus just like you said, build it into the bundle of the price for the website and responsive is what we do, right? Like. Yeah, that's sort of what you're getting at, I guess, right? Exactly. I mean, we, especially when we do the discovery, it's like there are clients, you know, and, and I'll probably catch hell for this, but there are clients we don't do responsive for. We mm-hmm. don't think it's always going to be the, you know, the end all for them. Uh, Columbia University, uh, we worked on a project that was about uh, getting funds raised, and they did not have the money to do multiple breakpoints. So we yeah. took that and we said, okay, we're going to do desktop and we're going to do tablet. Mm-hmm. And we're going to forget the smaller mm-hmm. sizes. And, and I, I love Josh Clark and I love the things that I hear him talk about with mobile. And I think if we had had the money, we would have gone mobile as well. Mm-hmm. But they were dealing with government entities. And I'm sure that some of those government entities are pulling it up on their phone while they're sitting on the john. 
-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> we had to make a decision based on the money they had. And so we took yeah. that, that far. If they were to come back and have more money, we'd probably take it further. So, so I think there's also the context of doing the right thing. And that also means making sure you're able to pay your people. Right. Yeah. But also yeah, sure you're, you're doing what's new business because sometimes, and, and Mike Montero said this recently, he said the best new business is the work you're doing today. You don't have to have a promotional opportunity if you created something great. That yeah. is your opportunity. So sometimes you take that extra step mm -hmm. and run off to new business. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's like uh, I worked at uh, a shop in, when I worked in Orlando and our boss would just, just – uh, a project would come to an end and we'd just be so exhausted because we worked hard to get to that point. But then he just pushed us further to add that like 10 20% polish onto it. Yeah. And it, you know, we just, we hated him for it. But, but <laughs> the fact is once we're done, we're like, wow, we're really proud of that. And mm -hmm. that he could go sell that uh, easy, easier, I guess, uh, if that's word, uh, to other clients. On the road. So that's what it's about. It's, uh, I had the only boss I've ever had, Melanie Husk. She, she used to say, "Okay, the client's happy. It's time to get to work." Yeah, you know. Hmm. You're being inspiring and stuff. Yeah, I'm trying, man. So, so is it, is there's not a name for content strategy that you use. I just want to just quickly touch on that. No, we, we, so you we, just call yeah. it step one, or like step we'll, two. No, we we'll call it content strategy. Yeah, I mean, if, if they ask us, you know, and I'm sure that, and, and I'm not part of the team generally, I'm sure they would say content strategy, but yeah. they're basically selling the process. They're not selling the term. Right. And I think especially in our industry where so many new terms show up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it can get very buzz heavy. We, we had, this was five or six years ago, we had somebody call us and ask us, if we were doing web 2.0 sites and I, I told them, I said, well, we're doing web 2.5. So you might want to be careful if you're asking for 2.0 because the guy was like, Oh, I'm so glad I called you. And I was like, man, I'm kidding. Look, it's, it's a philosophy. It's a set of tools. If you ask for web 2.0, you're going to get taken to the cleaner. Somebody is going to take advantage of you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I always have been concerned about the terminology and the, the quickness with which we turn with what's in vogue. But, but I think everything that shows up has value. It's, again, it gets to context. Mm -hmm. well, well, speaking of buzzwords, uh, let's talk about jellyfish. So, <laughs> uh, let's see what I did. <laughs> so, but uh, but let's, let's speak to like, um, you know, we, we talk about clients, we talk about uh, educating the clients and uh, you know, paying the clients and content, but also like, let's talk about internal, like the setup of the teams, like, um, yeah. Uh, Chris is from Canada. Is freelancer. Uh, Gene has how many people are on, on your staff? Four, right? And, total. And Carl, how many people are on, on your? Uh, we've got twelve right now, and then two which we would call engineers. So we've got fourteen people total that are working right now. Okay. And then so um, uh, let's just you know, Chris. I guess you just use interact with with. I mean, like, what's your normal like interaction with with uh, with your teams or? With the clients, you're just one on one with the clients. Yeah, I'm I, like I am literally by myself, and so then I, the the folks that I work with for certain aspects of a project, I'll bring them in and you know use Basecamp or face to face or whatever meetings to, and they'll sometimes come and attend the meetings with a client with me when it's a, a healthy relationship that way, right? And uh, and work through projects that way, which has been that's a, that's a new thing in the last six months or so, and uh, working well there. But then again, you're always I'm. 
no knock against the guy I'm working with if he happens to listen to it, but you know, you're at their schedule <laughs> as well. He's a beautiful man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> listen to it. Let me tell you something for reals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. No, but if he, you know, he's got his own schedule, he's a freelancer as well. And so you're, you're never truly in tune with each other on schedule. And that's where I find the most tension is, um, you know, I planning, I'm bidding on a contract, hoping mm-hmm. that he's going to be able to be available and all that kind of stuff. And he says he will right. be, but then something comes up for him and you're, you're right. kind of bouncing that back and forth. And so, yeah, the yeah, client that's suffers kind of, there. Yeah. It was, yeah. That's the benefit of having an employee versus, you know, mm-hmm. the contractors that you can always just, you know, yeah. Tell so, and then, yeah, and then, uh, so, so Gene, and so like, what's the, what's the makeup or it's the organization if you, you know, structure for, for your team? This? Uh, well, you mean like where we're located? No, just like, uh, you know, are you, are you like the, who, who's, is there like an organizational chart, you know? Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're not jellyfish people. Yeah. Um, let's, what is kind of hippie shit? Um, no, hey, we, you yeah. drink that juice, sir. I was just making the sure you were still listening. Good. Making sure you're still listening. No, uh, yeah, so I guess I guess if there was a boss, it'd be me. Right. Um, I'm even tentative saying that, but yeah. it's uh, yeah. And then we have the other guys, uh, Giovanni and Jay, mm-hmm. um, that pretty much implement all the projects from the sense of like design and code. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do most of the customer interaction, like planning and and project management, and right. uh, a lot. I do like most of the grunt work. Mm-hmm. Um, like if there's content to be entered or something to be tweeted or whatever, I do all that stuff. Um, okay. and we've just started working with another guy named Aaron who, um, who's kind of taken over a lot of the business development f- portion from that to project management. Yeah. I'm I just trying- hope you didn't, don't hire a Griswold. I hope you didn't do that. Hey, it's the, um, <laughs> But it's that it's that point where you you meet with a client and they sort of imprint on you. Mm-hmm. To the point of doing project management, we're trying to put him out front a little bit more to do some of that, take right. some of the load off right. um, of this end. Um, so that's that's kind of how we we structure things. Right. Well, it's sort of like uh, Paravel, right? With Austin based company, where like we we'd be very yeah. similar to them. Yeah. And so yeah. and then also I, I think I remember like either conversation or like a podcast interview or whatever. But you guys. Um, for period three, you guys like meet for coffee every morning, right? We do, yeah. yeah. You listen so, to the show. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Wow. You guys do that? We I do re- we, that. we do research here. Sheesh. We drew straws <laughs> yes. and Christopher actually was the one who had to. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Who gets to listen to the show? Oh. Oh, yeah. like Chris is my new favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, we, we were in an office um, for several years, and then we um, just kind of moved out of the office, and we've been working at a, our houses, and we all live – pretty much within five to ten minutes with each other. And so we meet at a local little breakfast spot and have breakfast or a coffee probably three times a week at least right. um, for an hour or two. We you know, get out there by eight and start the day of work by ten. I right. think that's not too bad for a uh, make sure we're all on the same page and stuff. And we're all really good friends. Right. Um, hopefully, I guess they'll tell me after this. But, <laughs> <laughs> we're all really good friends. I, I would say we're pretty much best friends and we work together and that, that really helps. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely kind of like that whole like stand up or not stand up, but that status meeting mm-hmm. just to make sure everyone's on the same page is so, so important. I remember like yeah. Jeff Fien, uh in one of his talks I saw was that uh, uh, for Typekit, they would actually have meetings at like like 9.05 because no one would be there at 9 o'clock. <laughs> so he is, is actually 9.05 and everyone's standing and just giving checking in and wow. saying, I think, I think there's two things. I could be totally wrong. Probably like, 
blurring my interviews research together, but it was like they, they always ask like what are you working on and if there's anything yeah. uh, they can do to help uh, help someone else out or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That's right. So uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's pretty so much it's funny. We started having our meetings on Tuesday because we couldn't get anybody in on Monday. <laughs> and uh, and that worked really well for no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah. We actually plan our meetings for Sunday, so Monday people should. <laughs> exactly. Carl, I mean, Carl just sits on his throne and tells everyone what to do. Yeah. Pretty much, uh, uh, I prefer to think of it as a filing cabinet, and I'll occasionally throw <laughs> checks. Okay. Um, no, so for us, uh, you know, we are the the oddball in the bunch, and no matter what group I sit in, we got close to twenty people. Uh, we 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 crested that. We got to twenty two, and I research business models all the time. And I had uh, had some conversations with some good friends. And a lot of shops, when they get to that 20 to 50 range, they die. Mm -hmm. There's something about that range. And and I firmly believe it's middle management. I think that you have to – the person who ran everything before becomes a bottleneck. And so they try to get support. And they bring in new people. And those new people don't know the culture. And they don't know the people who are there. And so the original people who got you where you are Mm -hmm. start getting pissed off. Yeah. Before you know it, you lose your core and you're trying to replace them. Um, so for me, it, it was also a matter of I was just so busy. I was trying to do so much. And I finally just took my hands off the wheel. And I was lucky enough that I had hired really good people mm-hmm. and they took over. So, so the jellyfish model is basically where the owner steps back and lets the team run the shop. Mm. And, uh, and, and it's been st- – stupidly successful for us and and yes i get called a hippie which is fine i cut my hair it didn't change a thing um, but the reality is i have a team that is so happy um they have i mean there are things that piss them off but but the reality is they get to choose what they work on they get to be in charge of how it's presented of how it's done the only time things go wrong is when i'm involved and it's, you know, Gene mentioned it earlier. If I am involved at the beginning, then a client is going to pattern on me like a little duck. And they're going to think that they need me involved for things to go well. Right. Unless they know me, I don't even get in the flow. Right. Right. And I will now log into Basecamp and see a new project that I didn't know we won. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. It, it means that I get my life back. Yeah. It means that the team has everything they need to succeed. Mm-hmm. And it means that we're taking care of each other. And our clients are generally happy. Um, clients that are jerks can't make it through this flow. A team's yeah. not going to form around a, a project that's driven by a client, Microsoft, that's not going to be nice. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had a little... Oh, I, I heard a cough there. Sorry. Thing yeah, there. I don't know what that was, Microsoft. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but so anyway, so, you know, it, it works really well for us. And And... It's funny, I, I laughed a little when you called it a buzzword, but I, I think that's a cool thing. If if people really are paying attention, um, mm-hmm. I think for 2013, one of my goals is to let people know there is an option in how you run your company. And you can step back and not feel like you have to be uh, a benevolent dictator or a dictator or a dick. You You can step back and actually trust the people that have started your company and you can go home and hang out with your kids. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And still make money, and they will make money, and everything will be fine because we don't hire stupid people, right? We hire people that we trust, or we yeah. should. Yeah, so, you should. It just takes a little trust. Yeah. 
So, I mean, a lot of the jellyfish model is just flattening your organization and, and allowing people to live where they're happiest. Yeah. So. so how many people live in uh, – you're, you're based in Jacksonville. How many people of the 14 live in Jacksonville? Uh, right now we've got uh, four of us that are in Jacksonville. Wow. So like that's way more than half of, of, your, of your team, just not even – you're just working remotely, right? And, and when we were up uh, at the 2022 level, mm-hmm. there was just the – well, there were five in Jacks at a time. Mm-hmm. But I never go into the main office. I don't work from the main office. I don't hang out in the main office. Um, one of the things you learn when you run a distributed team is if the person who is considered the boss, even though I consider myself a community manager, um, if you're considered the boss and you're in a located spot with other people – Suddenly, you've created satellites, and people are worried that decisions are being made and things happen that they're not aware of. Mm-hmm. So that's the main reason that I work from home or this little office that I have up the street from my house. Or an undisclosed location. That's right. I weren't going to talk about that. Oh, yes. That's right. mm. Do you have to then communicate pri- like primarily through digital means, right? Like as far as this is the way our company is going, has to be a... Uh, like an email, a Basecamp message? What, what are the tools, I guess, that you use to keep Well, them? you know, videos are really big for us. Um, actually, on Mondays, we have a call for updates. And on Monday, everybody basically says what they're committing to do that week. And that's, that's a group-wide email in Basecamp, a group-wide message thread. And everybody basically says what they're working on. And one of the things that we learned is, even though you're only working on one project, the team wants to know what the bigger picture is. They want to see what other people are working on. So by doing that, that really helps that. Um, on Wednesday, I do a talking head video called the Midweek Update. And basically, I'll talk about new business that's come in, if uh, somebody's got a birthday, if there's been a change on the team, say there's a new friend engineer that showed up, um, where we are financially. I'll share uh, information. I normally talk about money in terms of how many payrolls we have, um, things that people can, can grasp. If, if you say $140,000, it's like, we're going to Vegas. But if you say we have four payrolls, they're like, oh, we're not going to Vegas. <laughs> Friday, we have what we call the props report. And um, basically throughout the week, people keep track of others in the company that have done something nice for them. And then they either use a, a tool that we have called Do Props, which is a, a little app that was built to give them those props right away, or they'll send them to me. And then on Friday, we'll do a video that just basically, I will read out the props that one person gives to another. And, and that's another thing that I think really helps the team uh, feel connected. When you have Kyle in St. Louis getting a prop from Katie in Jacksonville, it kind of melts away the miles, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. In terms of the team working together, uh, they choose between Skype and Google Plus and Campfire and Basecamp and, and all of those tools. But the bigger thing for me is I try to really be in touch with everybody at least once a week and understand what's going on. And if, if I'm going to um, help them, I try to make sure I understand who they are personally. And if I'm compensating, like say there's a bonus coming out, I try not to give just a bonus. I try to make it relevant to something that they want. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's much more about giving a deposit on a new car than it is uh, giving 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, it, it's a challenge. I'll, I'll be honest. A distributed, decentralized team is a lot of work. But man, when it clicks, it's the best. In a sense, like um, I think we talked about this maybe with um, Jeff Croft, maybe, but uh, it was talked about like for a distributed model setup, you have to over communicate. Do you feel or like? I, you know what? I would say we over communicate based on a located team. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't think we over-communicate based on being human. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're in a located team, there's this understanding that you're seeing each other and you kind of know what's going on, but it's a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're not in the same space, um, there is that, that part of you that just needs to reach out and say, are you okay? It's so funny. I had a couple of things on on Twitter recently because we've got a a slight change in the team that we'll be talking about soon. And it's a very positive thing. This person got a great opportunity, but it's very disheartening to me personally because I love them so much and I enjoyed working with them so much. Um, But it's one of those things. You put a few things out on Twitter and the, the Twitter community comes in and says, are you okay, man? Did somebody die? And it's like, oh God, I really overplayed this. And, uh, and that's the thing on a, a distributed team. It's the same deal. You have to make sure that you're explaining to them exactly how you're feeling instead of little hints. So, so I, I, and Jeff's right. I mean, I would say most people would probably think of it as over-communicate. Mm-hmm. But I think in a distributed model, it's, it's the correct level. Okay. And then um, I think we were talking about um, at uh, EECI in Austin, right? I think um, I think you were talking about like um, dealing with um, employees and, and trying to bring them on board. I guess situation where like it was it was kind of weird. Like you just you um, you ask them like, hey, what's it going to take to make you happy? If, if I'm is that, is that the right question you ask employee? Uh, what do you need and what do you want? Yes, yeah. I thought that was just a great. Uh, sets of questions to ask. Like I thought that was, and, and just you know, was is there a history behind that, or like what's the motivation behind asking those questions? Just kind of happened. Um, it, it's funny. There's a little restaurant here in Jacksonville called Red Elephant, and in there you would think that it, it feels a lot like uh, a scene from a movie where you go into a place where everyone's delusional and happy. I mean, you walk in there and all of these teenage servers are just so happy. And I, I asked the, ser- the, the manager one day, I said, what do you do? How do you find these people? And he said, I ask one question. When's the last time you were upset? And if they answer right away, I know not to hire them. Mm-hmm. Right? But if they have to mm-hmm. think about it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hire them. And, uh, and it was one of those things where I said, oh, my goodness, you can have one question or a few questions that really sum up the core of an individual. Mm-hmm. And for me, that obviously wasn't the question. But when I started thinking about it, I was like, well, there are really only two things here that they're going to say if, if we're a love connection. And those are, what is it you want? You know what? I want to create great things using this technology, or I want to continue learning and be able to do this. And what is it you need? I need flexibility to be able to take a month off, or I need at least $75,000 a year, or I need... And then you're able to look at those two things and say, okay, well, this is a fit for who we are. Mm-hmm. One of the big things I hated, and I think it's, a, it's probably feedback for me, um, but I don't like negotiating with people. Yeah. I like to just sit down and say, what are you looking for? Here's what we have. And it either fits or it doesn't. I don't want to tell anybody that they're not worth the money they're asking for because that's not my place. I don't know them and I haven't worked with them yet, Right. So it's, it's one of those things where I can just say, well, that's not fair to the team because that's where the team's at or that's not something we can do without sinking the ship. Um, and if they come back and offer something less, then maybe somebody would say that's negotiating. But I rarely bite on those opportunities when they come back asking for something less. I normally say, look, I just don't think we're a fit. Yeah. There are a few situations where I've been like, we'll get you where you want to be. <laughs> Let's just yeah. 
if you can just give us time because you seem so awesome. But then somebody like Jane Crawford says no. (laughs) (laughs) Keep doing it. Oh, man. Well, um, I think it's a good good way to start closing out the show. But one question we always ask our guests is, what are you guys most passionate about now? Gene, I've been rambling forever. Oh, I'm most passionate about about you guys. Was I love that? you guys. Yeah. Oh, what am I most passionate about right now? Um, this business, man. I'm, you know, I'm working on changing how we make money and make a living doing the things that we love. Uh, man, I've been um, a little nuts, but I've been hitting the gym like a monster the past couple of months. Yeah. And I'm just thankful that I'm able to like do that like in the middle of the day and be gone for two, two and a half hours wow. and just go work out and just not worry about it and come back. And it's only because I've done it, I've engineered it so that I can do that. And I just want to protect that and that ability to do that sort of thing. Or I went on a field trip with my kid uh, a couple of weeks ago and it totally forgot about it and was just able to say, you know what, I'm just going to go do this. And I just went and did it and just making that continue to work and protecting that. That's what I'm passionate about right now. So it's like so, entirely selfish, but yeah, whatever. well, it's like, it's the life work balance, right? Good man. Yeah. It's for so long. It's just been like the work has been first and I put in all these hours and, you know, fighting with family, like, well, I've got to take care of this stuff. And, right. and it's just, it just never ends and it's always there and just yeah. sort of re approaching that from a different way and re-engineering that and just being able to just put other things before that, mm-hmm. that I think I just feel like everyone should be doing that. Right. Cool. Whatever okay. it is. I, for me, um, I think I've been analyzing too much and I'm very passionate about acting instead of analyzing now. And I, I've, I've said this before and, and this is not to contradict what Gene said because it's totally different context, but I've gotten to a point where I was protecting the company mm-hmm. and creating. And I need to, for me right now, I'm like, we have to get back to creating and not, not protecting our current stance and pre- protecting where we are, but getting back to being innovative and creating amazing things. Um, the other thing that I'm really passionate about is reinvesting in my local community mm-hmm. in terms of being present. Um, you know, we're a distributed team, and I haven't talked to the team about this yet. Some of them will hear about it here. But I'm starting to think of us as a multi-located team in the sense that we're in Vancouver, and we're in Portland, and we're in Seattle, and we're in you know, Como, and we're in St. Louis, and we're in Fort Lauderdale, and we're in Jacksonville, we're in Portland. It's like why don't we just become a presence in all of these cities so that we can do what we want to do? And why doesn't engine works allow us to spend 500 bucks on a freaking meetup to sponsor it so that people can have a beer. I mean, we're, we're a, a bigger organization now and it's, it's just silly to act like we don't have a home when in reality we have so many homes. And, and so for me right now, that's just a huge thing is to change that perception internally that we're distributed and instead realize we just live a lot of places. That's pretty much where I'm at. Awesome. That's really cool. Cool. So, so guys, uh, where can people find you on the onlines, on the Twitters and Facebooks? Very boring names, Christopher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I told you that me, I was hoping you guys would fix them by the end of the show, but Mm. it doesn't sound like it. I'm at at Carl Smith, C-A-R-L, 
S M I T H. Or you your, can go your name, Carl. Is that all? That that's it. You know, wow. it's uh, when you mm. Mm. boring overcome it. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm at Gene Crawford, or you can also find us at Unmatched Style. This right. was fun. This was very fun. Thanks for having us on, Chris. Right. Cool. Shooting the breeze for an hour. I love it. Cool. Well, thanks to Chris from Canada for pushing the buttons behind the scenes. And, and thanks for taking a chance on a couple of drunks. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I feel sad because we didn't mention any hobos. That's like, that's only... only no hobos. Yeah. That's so. a croft. You- maybe, maybe later on. But yeah. <laughs> so, the hobo cough. Oh, hobo. Sweet. All right. I uh, just want to say uh, thanks to you, the listeners. It would be great if you could rate us up on iTunes. It does help us get the word out about the show in addition to uh, mentioning it on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, again, a thanks to BizCraft hosts, Carl and Gene, for joining us on Nonbreaking Space. As always, check out the show notes at nonbreakingspace.tv for all the links and sites discussed during the episode. Uh, see you guys next time. See you. Thank you. See you later, man. Bye.